great time of worship that our uh, kiddos led us in today. I got a uh, text from Jim Clark, our communications director, and he said, uh, good luck following that up. Uh, so I'm not even going to try. We're just going to jump right into it today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 is going to be our text for today and where we will find our core verse uh, for the week, Mark chapter 12. I believe we've got some pew Bibles there in front of you if you want to open up a physical copy uh, too. And so the people who um, studied and taught scripture in the Old Testament, they kind of counted it all up and, and they determined that there were 613 different commandments within the law. Uh, 613 commands uh, for uh, Jewish people to follow. And of those uh, 613 commands, 365 of them were negative, right? Like, so they were commands uh, to not do something. But then there were also 248 of them that were positive. They were commands to do something. And, and what started to happen over time is that different groups would look at those 613 commands and they would say, well, these are the most important ones. These are the weightiest ones. These are the greater of those 613 commands. And these are maybe little, these are, these are less, like we still observe them, but, but we're not going to put as much weight on them. And, and as oftentimes happens, various groups would begin to argue about those things. I'm so glad that we are past that. You know, we've kind of grown past groups drawing lines and arguing about things. Some awkward laughter. The eight o'clock service didn't really laugh at that, so I'm glad, thank you for that. But they did, I mean, this is what they were doing. And so some groups would say, these are the greatest, these are the most important ones. And then other groups would say, no, you got it wrong. These are the greatest, these are the most important ones. And in fact, the ones that you pointed to are the lesser ones, they are the least. And, and it's kind of in this context that we find our text today. This, this argument, these discussions, this debate was, was so popular, in fact, that it would be the conversation of dinner parties uh, it would be the, the topic of public debate. And, and in our text today, um, we, we have kind of leading up to it where we, we see Jesus and how he interacts with some of these groups that have kind of drawn lines and, and, and chosen what commands that they thought were, were the greatest. And so you have groups like teachers of the law, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, they'd all decided which command was the great, which one was the least. And there was this debate always going on between them about who is right and who is wrong. And in our text, Jesus is asked, Jesus is asked to give his thoughts on it. And so let's look at it, uh, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, them being Jesus and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were this group that, that questioned um, resurrection, bodily resurrection, and, and Jesus and, and this group were kind of going back and forth on that. And so he heard them debating, <clears throat> noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And so you have this teacher of the law, also referred to as scribe, uh, whose job it was to accurately interpret and teach scripture. And he just was kind of this outside observer for a while in the story where he was watching things unfold. And you had the Sadducees of this group that, that them and the teachers of the law, the scribes, they didn't really get along because they were in those two different tribes, you know, saying, uh, we believe this, and, but we believe this. 
And he had just watched Jesus drop the mic on the Sadducees. I mean, Jesus had a drop mic moment with them. And he's like, wow, this guy's really wise. I'm wondering what he has to say about this. And so he asked him, of all of the 613 commandments, which one do you think is the most important? And, and we don't really know this guy's motives here. In fact, we, we see the same account also in the book of Matthew. In Matthew's account, it seems like this guy is maybe being a little bit antagonistic. Matthew actually even says he asked this to test Jesus. He might be trying to draw sides. He might be trying to split the crowd that had started following Jesus. He may hope that Jesus gives the answer that his group aligns with so that they can be like, see, that guy agrees with us. He seems kind of important. <laughs> And it might just be, as Mark indicates, that he has a sincere heart and really wants to know, how can I best love God and follow him? Whatever his motive, he asked Jesus this question, and this is what he says. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus goes right to the most quoted passage of all time. We may think of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. No, this is what Jesus quotes here is the most quoted passage of scripture of all time. It's called the Shema. It's the Hebrew word for hear, that very first word. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. And the Shema was this prayer that, that, that faithful Jews would pray every morning and every evening and sometimes multiple times throughout the day. Hear Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this confession of faith was a reminder that God is one. There's no one equal to him. He has no rivals. There's no one above him. He is the one true God. But it's also a reminder that the Lord is our God. The Lord our God is one, that he is a God who made a covenant with Israel. In love, God has fully given himself to his people and, and, and the, only, the only appropriate response that they have is to give their love back to him, to, to fully give their life back to, them, back to him, their devotion, their, their faithfulness, their love to this God. This, Jesus says, is the first and the greatest commandment, but he doesn't stop there. Not only can you condense those 613 laws to that peg, you know, love God, but he goes on and he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so Jesus tethers these two commands together, love God and love others. Jesus quotes this Old Testament passage, Leviticus 19, 18, and in it, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And by merging these two into one, he is, emboiling, he is boiling the entire law down to these two actions. Jesus is teaching us that loving your neighbor is a natural result of loving God. Loving your neighbor is a natural result of loving God. The two go hand in hand and they cannot be separated. And we ask, as 
others did in scripture, well then who is our neighbor? Who is it that we have to love? (laughs) And Jesus responds in, in Luke chapter 10. He says that our neighbor is essentially anyone that we have the opportunity to be neighborly to. It's anyone that we have the opportunity to show kindness to, to show respect to, to to serve and to go out of our way for. And so our neighbors are those who live within our home. Our neighbor is the person who lives next to us and down the street from us. Our neighbor is our coworker. Yes, even that coworker. (laughs) Our boss. Our, Our neighbor is our server who serves our meal as we go out to lunch later on today. Our neighbor is that person who drives us crazy, and if we see them in Walmart, we go a couple of aisles down hoping that we won't cross paths. (laughs) Our neighbor is even our enemy. And to love our neighbor, whoever it might be in the moment, is to want the same thing for them that we want for ourselves. It's to, it's to bless them. It's to treat them the same way that we want to be treated. And, as, and in this chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul, I think, instructs us on what it really looks like to live this kind of neighborly love out. This, this passage has kind of been co-opted for as like a marriage text and for, for married couples, but, but that's not what it is at all. This is like teaching us how to love one another, how to love our neighbor. And this is what Paul writes. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so loving our neighbor means that we are patient and we are kind with them. It means that we don't envy what others have and make them out to be an enemy in our mind because they have what we want, what we feel like we deserve. We don't boast about our accomplishments to make someone else feel less than us. We don't gossip or lie about people. Loving our neighbor means that we talk to people instead of about people behind the back because that's how we want to be treated. Loving our neighbor means that we don't take advantage of anyone for our own gain. It, doesn't mean, it means that we don't lash out at the slightest offense or hold grudges and refuse to forgive someone who is truly seeking our forgiveness. Loving our neighbor means that we don't celebrate the pain of others, unless they're a Duke fan, in which case I think we probably all celebrated that a little bit last weekend. But, but as a general rule of thumb, we don't do that. <laughs> we always believe in others and we want what is best for them. I think loving our neighbor also means that we strive to avoid what psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. I heard Andy Stanley talk about this several years ago and then just recently uh, uh, in, a, in a prayer breakfast speech that he gave in Georgia uh, last month. The fundamental attribution error is overemphasizing personality-based explanations for behaviors observed in others. And so again, it's, it's like seeing someone act in a certain way and attributing that to their personality while underestimating situational expectations. Explanations. 
And so it's attributing the things that we don't care for in others to their personality instead of to their situation. Let me give you an example. Last Tuesday night, our girls' school did a fundraiser at Culver's, and we were eating dinner with some some friends, and it came time to go and get ice cream, and uh, so I said, hey, I'll go and get it. What would you guys like? And so Amber and Adeline gave me their order, and uh, Nora said, I'll just go up with you, Daddy, and so her and one of her friends uh, went up with me, and it was it was pretty chaotic. You know, it was, it was starting to, to fill up uh, at that time, and, and I was sitting here trying to remember what my wife wanted, what I, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to get. Nora was trying to figure out what she was, and so I was helping her, and, uh, and it was just a, a little bit of a, of a chaotic situation in the, in the lobby at that time. And, and I, I stepped up and I got in line behind the person that I thought was the last person in line. And about that time, a register opened up. And so I just walked right up to it, placed our order. And then I turned around and realized, oh no, I just cut in front of like 15 families and I didn't even realize it. Uh, if you were one of those families, you're like, I know, I saw you, jerk. <laughs> My apologies, <laughs> I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. <laughs> but because of the fundamental attribution error, listen, if someone cuts in front of me and I notice that, I attribute it to their personality, like to their character. My first thought is, I can't believe that inconsiderate jerk. What are they doing? But when I do something like that, I'm like, oh no. In fact, you even heard it in how I told the story, Right. <laughs> the situation, the things that were happening around me, that's what made me be a jerk in that moment. I was distracted. We can quickly judge others' behaviors and attribute it to just, well, that's who they are. We write them off instead of looking at the situation, even though all of us want others to consider the situation when they make judgments about us. We want others to give us a little bit of grace. And so what if we loved our neighbors like that? What if we loved our neighbors the way that we want to be loved, the way that we want to be treated? We started giving others the benefit of the doubt just a little bit more, giving them a little bit more grace. We'd probably find that we have a whole lot more empathy and forgiveness and a lot less judgment hiding in our heart. And so Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. In Matthew's gospel, he says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. They're like pegs that you can put up on a wall and every single one of those 613 either hangs on loving God or loving others. Loving God or loving others. It all comes down to that. And this teacher of the law agrees. Verse 32, he says, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love him, your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now this is an interesting commentary that this teacher of the law gives to what Jesus taught He says that loving God and loving others is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. These were religious rituals that that God gave his people to restore relationship with him or with one another. Oftentimes they they were gratitude offerings that they would give. Sometimes they were forgiveness offerings that they would give. And And what he's saying is that to love God and to love others is even more important than any of those offerings that we can give, even the most important ones. And again, we go back to Paul's chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13. 
In the beginning, he says this, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, loving God without loving others is useless. Our our faith isn't doing anything in us if we don't find ourselves loving others more and more. If If our faith and love for God is not transforming us into where we love others, then, then Paul says we're just, we're just noisy. We're not doing anything. Because it is our faith and love for God that ought to begin transforming us to become more loving to others, more patient, more kind. And, and all of those things that he lists in that verse that we read earlier. Loving others is the natural result and outflow of loving God and being transformed by the Spirit of God and his grace into the image of Jesus. And so hear me, it is not about doing more religious things. It's about loving others the way that God loves us. And so the more we love God, the more we live by faith and devotion and to surrender to him, the more we ought to find ourselves loving others more. In our Core 52 chapter for this week, which if you're new with us, Core 52, we're kind of working our way through 52, just really important passages in scripture that everyone needs to know. And we're on week 31, Someone help me out, Jim. Is that, I'm getting the nod from Jim. All right, great. 31, and and in our text for this week, this is what Mark Moore says. He says, our love of God can be enacted only through our care for our neighbor. The two go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the heart of God. You're not far from life that that is lived with the attitude and action of Jesus when he rules and, and he reigns in our life. You're not far from life as God intended for it to, to be the great life that loves God and loves others. And the subtle message that Jesus leaves for this teacher of the law, and I think for us this morning, in verse 34, is you know what to do. Now go out and live it. You have the right answer. Like it's in your head. You know what to do. You're close to the kingdom of God. Now go out and live it. And so in light of what Jesus teaches us this morning, I want to invite you to do a little bit of self-reflection with me today. Are you living it? Are you loving God and loving others well? Are you growing in your faith and devotion to him? Or do you find yourself just kind of going through these rote religious motions? Are you surrendering more of your life to him to where other people are seeing the evidence of God's grace working in you and through you? Or are there places that you're holding on to? Are you falling more in love with the God who loves you and is pursuing you? 
Are you loving others well today? Can you say that you are living honestly with everyone or are there things that you hide hoping no one will find out? Are you at peace with everyone so far as it depends on you or is there any unresolved conflict living in your heart? Is there someone that you know that you need to have the conversation with, but you're still searching for the courage to do it? Listen, we're all on this spectrum of how we love God and how we love others. And, and, and it's, it's not for anyone to judge where we are, but it is our hope and our desire that we take that next step in loving him and loving others well. And so I wonder, is there, is there a next step? Is there a next step that you can think of even right now? When we put these things into practice, not only are we near the kingdom of God in the heart of Jesus, but God uses us to draw others closer to him too. We become living, breathing testimonies to the grace of God and we help others experience that grace with us. When our love for others is motivated by our love for God, we become the hands and the feet of Jesus to those around us. I read a story last week about a man who had no interest in faith. And really his only real interaction with the Christian was his, his neighbor. And so they would you know, be out in their backyard working every now and then, and they would talk over the fence. And uh, when one of them needed to borrow a tool, uh, they would you know, lend them out to, to one another. Uh, when one of their mowers broke down, his neighbor went and mowed for him for, for a little bit. And there's just kind of this, this deep friendship that they had formed. But but it never really got into anything like spiritual. And until one day when the neighbor came to his Christian friend and he said, my wife was just diagnosed with cancer and it doesn't look good. And three months later, she passed away. And I want to read part of a letter that this man wrote afterwards. He says, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to a path along the river that we used to walk and wandered through the night, but I didn't wander alone. My neighbor, afraid of me, I guess, <laughs> stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. And when the sun finally came up over the river, he came over and simply said, let's go get some breakfast. The man ends by saying, I go to church now, my neighbor's church, a religion that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. And this is how we love God, by loving others. And we help them do the same. And all of this is in step with following Jesus who modeled this kind of love and devotion and surrender to the Father and love and faithfulness and devotion to us. It's what led him to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, knowing that he would be rejected by the same crowd that was cheering him, knowing that he would soon bear the weight of our sin on the cross. Jesus loved us by loving God and being obedient to death for us. And our only appropriate response 
to a love like that is to fully surrender and love him in return. If you're here today and you're ready to take that step and surrender and give your life to Jesus, and we wanna help you do that. We wanna help you find and follow him. We want you to follow in the footsteps of Charlotte who was baptized this morning. Proclaim that faith in him. But now we're gonna move into a time of communion where we remember and we celebrate that Jesus was obedient to the Father out of love for him and he was sacrificial out of love for us, paying the price for our sin that we could not pay on our own. So as the servers pass the trays, you'll pick up a stack of cups. The bottom one has a little piece of bread that helps us remember his body that was given for us. And the top has some juice that helps us remember his blood that was shed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for showing us the fullness of love in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father out of love and and being willing to go to the cross in love for us so that we might find forgiveness, so that we might be restored, redeemed, renewed, and so that we can be sent out with the hope of the resurrection, life living in us, shining to others. So help us, Jesus, to follow your example and to love God and to love others well. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.